If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, to chapter 12. We pick up in verse 15. And what an interesting verse it is. May I remind you what we studied last week, the very last verse, number 14. God said, not only am I going to send Judah into captivity, but all nations of the world are going into captivity too. And why did the other nations go into the Babylonian captivity? For failing to keep the commandments of God. I thought the commandments only applied to Jewish people. Apparently not. Because the whole world went into captivity. And verse 15 is, now here's what happens afterward. In Babylon, we had Medo-Persia conquer Babylon. And then all the world was under Medo-Persia. And then Medo-Persia was conquered by Greece. And the world was ruled over by the Grecians. And then they fell to the Romans. And then the Roman Empire continues in one form or another up until the time of the end. So these verses we're looking at here talk about what happened historically and what's yet to happen in the future. What does Ecclesiastes tell us what's happened before? Will happen again. So verse 15 says, Then, after... God has brought all the nations into captivity. When God brings Israel home, he's going to allow the other nations to go home as well. That's verse 15. Then it shall be after I have plucked them out that has brought Israel back to its own land, that I will return and have compassion on them and bring them back, everyone to his heritage and everyone to his land. Who is God having compassion on? Everybody. Everybody. That's right. It's not just Israel. Not only does Israel go back to their lands, but all the other nations also return to their lands. What did God want all of the world to learn when they were in the captivity? That the pagan idols are worth what? Nothing. That if you want the nation to be blessed, who do you worship? The Lord our God. Does the scripture say blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord? That means whichever nation. If the United States has the Lord as its God, like some people say we used to, but boy it's hard to find evidence of it today. Do we want his blessing or not? But it does not just say, I will bring them back, does it? What else does it say? This shall be after I have plucked them out that has brought them back, that I will return. Who's the I? Yeah, that's the Lord, our God. So not only is he bringing the people back to their land, but the Lord is going to return to the land. Was that at the return of the Babylonian captivities? Or is that at the last day's return, the second regathering? That's exactly what this time period is talking about. Would you believe that on Saturdays when we're in Zechariah, it's on exactly the same topic? 
Yeah, it's exactly the same. I don't know how God does that. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11 and read about the regathering at issue here. Isaiah chapter 11. The main focus is not on the return from the Babylonian captivity, but the return when Messiah comes. That's why the emphasis on I will return. Isaiah chapter 11. It starts in verse 10. And in that day, what day? The day of the Lord. I hear many theologians say that the day of the Lord talks about the 24-hour period when the Lord returns and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, but it's not. The day of the Lord is the thousand-year period that goes from the rapture and the resurrection through the seven-year tribulation period through the messianic kingdom, also called the millennial kingdom, to the new heavens and the new earth. How can a day be a thousand years? A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. That's Psalm 90 verse 4 and 2 Peter 3.8. So if you look at this image up here in multicolors, just to your left of the ark, you see a timeline that you would think is written by the Baptists or the Lutherans or by the Episcopalians or by somebody, but it's actually from the Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem. And up at the top, you'll find, they say that the six days of creation, followed by the Sabbath day, teaches 6,000 years of mankind from creation until the day of the Lord. The first two days, they say, represent the first 2,000 years of man's existence that they call Jomim Tohu, or the days of desolation. The next two, they call Jomim Torah, the days of Torah. That goes up until 2,000 years ago at the time of the birth of Messiah. The third set of two days, they call Yamim Mashiach, the days of Messiah. Because they say Messiah should have come 2,000 years ago. What are they missing? <laughs> they did. Yeah. But then at the end of that, 6,000 years from the Garden of Eden, they say is the day of the Lord. Hmm. And they say this was taught by the prophet Elijah. Hmm. Yeah. How long ago did Messiah come? About 2,000 years ago. Isn't that interesting? Okay. But that's the day that we're talking about is that last day representing that seventh millennium. It says, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Why is it capitalized in our Bible? Because it's talking about Messiah, the root of Jesse, but Messiah descends from Jesse. How can he be the root of Jesse and the descendant of Jesse? Because he always was. John 1, 1, the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Who shall stand as a banner to the people. This word banner is the kind of banner that people rally around, like a military guide on. I don't know how many of you were military, a lot of you, I suspect. When the trumpet blows and you're called to assemble, you, you line up on that guide on. That's that kind of banner we're talking to here. Everybody comes to Messiah. For the Gentiles shall seek him. Is that the unsaved Gentiles or the saved Gentiles? The saved Gentiles. 
being brought into the Messianic kingdom. It says, in his resting place shall be glorious. That resting place is described as he, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, by the Greek word sabbatismos. It is the Sabbath rest. It is bringing the Gentile believers into the Messianic kingdom. Next verse, it shall come to pass in that day, that very same day, that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to regather the remnant of his people who are left. The first time was at the end of the Babylonian captivity. The second time is in the day of the Lord when Armageddon is over. From Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Amat and the islands of the sea. All you need to know about those four phrases is it's north, south, east, and west. It means from wherever the people have been scattered. Verse 12 goes on to say, he will set up a banner for the nations. The word nations are the Gentiles. That's that same Messiah calling us home. And will assemble the outcasts of Israel. The word assemble means to gather. The outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah. Is that doublespeak? No. Israel refers to the northern kingdom that went into the Assyrian captivity in 722 BCE and have not yet come out. And Judah, of course, is the southern kingdom that went into the Babylonian captivity and returned after 70 years. But he's going to regather the outcasts from where? The four corners of the earth. That's Hebrew parallelism. That's what those last four phrases of verse 11 refer to. So it's talking about bringing people into the messianic kingdom. Hello there. Okay. Back to Jeremiah chapter 12. So in verse 15, it shall be after I have plucked them out, that has brought Israel out of captivity back to the land, that I return and have compassion on them and bring them back, everyone to his heritage and everyone to his land. So when Armageddon is over, will any of the Gentile nations have become believers? Many. Many will. <laughs> okay. Sorry. That's all right. It popped up. I was hitting something else. Yeah. Verse 16. And it shall be, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people. Who will learn carefully the ways of my people? Those Gentile nations that have survived the battle of Armageddon. Will they continue to live like Gentiles? Will they continue to be pagan idolaters? The answer is no. Their hearts have been changed. Their lives will have been changed. What verse did we study last Saturday from Zechariah that describes this same thing? Keep a finger here and turn to Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23. Because Zechariah 8, 23 adds a dynamic aspect to this prophecy. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Adonai Zavaot in Hebrew. What kind of prophecy is it when it says the Lord of hosts? An end times prophecy. What are the days we're living in right now? We're living in the end times. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, see how days is plural. If it said in that day, it would not have started yet. In those days, it started already as we approach the day of the Lord. Ten men, that's a minion, a representative sample. The smallest group that Abraham was able to bargain with God, if there's at least ten, will you not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? He said, what? Yeah, if there was only ten. But there weren't, were there? From every language of the nations, the word nations means the the Gentile peoples, the non-Jews, shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man. But it's not sleeve. Sleeve, you think up here on the arm. The Hebrew word is kanaf. It's the corner of the talit, where the zitzit are tied, these fringes, which represent what? Represents the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, and Messiah is in the heart of it. That's the blue thread. You're right. K-N-A-P-H. K-A-N-A-P-H. Kanaf. Means corner. It's the same word as wing. That's why in Malachi people think Messiah is a bird. Because he got healing in his wings. Nah, that's... They could have translated kanafim there a little better. So they're going to grasp the sleeve of Jewish man. This represents the commandments of God. This says the Gentiles at the end of the age, are going to start saying, you know what? The commandments were for everybody. Not just Jewish people. How many people in the world realize that the word Jew or Jewish does not appear in the first five books of the Bible at all? Not once. Who are the commandments for? Everybody. Everybody. That's why all the nations went into captivity, for they were all disobedient. But it says, they shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So what happened almost 2,000 years ago? Put your hands like this. Let's make sure everybody out and go to meeting land can see it. From the time of Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection, Jews and Gentiles that worshipped God through faith in Messiah were one. But then... Something happened about the year 135 Common Era, 135 AD, where a leading Jewish rabbi called Rabbi Akiva declared Simon Bar Kokhba to be the Messiah and said, In the name of Simon Bar Kokhba, we will prevail over the Romans. And the believers left the Israeli army and they split off and they went to Pella in Jordan. From that point on, the Israeli army didn't win another battle. They went down in defeat. And the non-believers went to Yavne, down around Gaza today. And they have been split for 2,000 years. But the time of the end, now put your hands like this, the two sides are coming back together. There are Jewish people all over the world coming to faith in Messiah, and Gentiles all over the world realizing that the commandments of God are for all people as the prophecy said here. So let us go back with that in mind and look at Jeremiah 12 again. Verse 16, And it shall be if they will learn carefully. What's the word carefully mean? Does that mean casually, sort of, oh well, if I gotta? With With caution, with heart, with a desire. Carefully the ways of my people. The ways of my people. Some people think, well, 
this is only for the future. Attention to detail. It's attention to detail, yes. But is it only for the future? What did the Apostle Paul tell us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Once a Gentile gets saved by faith, or they are supposed to continue to walk in the ways they did before they got saved? Chapter 7, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Why does he add testify in the Lord? What does the word testify mean? He got it directly from the Lord. He didn't hear this secondhand. The Lord told him himself. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In a futility, that word means perverseness of their mind. So when a Gentile gets saved by faith, are they supposed to continue walking in the sins they did before they got saved? The answer is no. So how are they to walk? Go down to verse 22, Ephesians 4.22. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, that refers back to Ephesians 2, which was created according to God in what? What are those four words? True righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is the opposite of lawlessness. So how does Paul say the Lord himself says we are to walk once we get saved? In true righteousness and holiness. And that, if we go back to Jeremiah 12, verse 16, is what the Lord is referring to. So when the Gentile nations come out of the the battle of Armageddon because they've come to faith, There's an if. If they will learn carefully the ways of my people, that is to follow God according to his commandments, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, meaning have they put away pagan idolatry, or was it just lip service? Did they mean it from the heart, or didn't they? Then they shall be established in the midst of my people, But if they do not obey, now notice how that goes with if they will learn carefully the ways of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. In Matthew chapter 24, Messiah himself describes the tribulation period and his return at the end of it. And what's the very next chapter after 24? Where's my math majors? 25. 25 has two topics. The parable of the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. Five were ready for the rapture, five were not. But the rest of chapter 25 is the sheep and goat judgment, which is the judgment of the nations. Which nations will survive? And which ones will not. The Lord tells us right here. Who will survive? 
those that have learned carefully the ways of my people to be obedient to God. And those who say, no, we don't want to be, they're going to perish. Yeah, we shall see how America fares. But we have so many more scriptures that go with this topic. Starting with Isaiah chapter 2. That helps us understand what God means by if they diligently learn the ways of my people to be obedient. Who will teach the Torah, the laws, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God to the Gentile nations? Yeshua. Messiah himself will. Yeshua will. How do we know? It says right here. Yep. Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. All those of you with computer screens or phone screens, you got a problem now. Because you got to scratch something out. <laughs> Don't damage your screen. Just tap a note in there. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. Latter days is not right. It's the Achrit Hayyumim. It's the end of days. That's the Hebraic way of saying the Messianic kingdom. So it's the day of the Lord. That the mountain of the Lord's house. What is a mountain in prophecy? It's a kingdom. So this is the Messianic kingdom. Shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. The mountains are the major Gentile kingdoms. The hills, the smaller Gentile kingdoms. Messiah's kingdom is over them all. What is he called in Revelation 19? King of kings and Lord of lords. It says, and all nations shall flow to it. Why would all nations come up to Jerusalem to see the Lord? Let's see, read it. Verse 3. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. The house of the God of Jacob is the temple. Why would the Gentiles come to the temple? Who's sitting in the temple, ruling and reigning? Messiah Yeshua. He, Messiah, will teach us his ways. So that's how, in Jeremiah, it says, if they learn the ways of my people, he's going to teach it. And we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, Zion, prophetic Jerusalem, shall go forth the Torah. That's the Hebrew word there. The Torah, the law, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into printing hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more anymore. Turn to Micah chapter 4. It says the same thing as Isaiah 2. Some people would say, then why are you making this turn there? Does the scripture say in the word of two or more, let all things be established? So let's look at it. Micah 4.1, now it shall come to pass in the Acherit HaYamim, the end of days. Hasn't happened yet. It's in that day, the day of the Lord. That the mountain Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. That is, Messianic kingdom is over all kingdoms of the world. And people shall flow to it. 
Many nations shall come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. That's the temple. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Have you heard that the law was abolished when Messiah was crucified? It sure isn't true. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. At this point, the emails start flowing in. But Wayne, maybe it's a new law. Well, did you see the word new in either chapter? Nor did I. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 44, and God's going to tell us that the law has not changed. Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 23 to 24. When does Ezekiel 44 take place? It's in the Messianic kingdom. With Messiah on the throne. Messiah returns in Ezekiel 43. So Ezekiel 44 verses 23 and 24. And they referring to the priests. That serve under the Lord's guidance. Shall teach my people. Do you see the word Jew anywhere? No. My people. The difference between the holy and the unholy. And cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. If Messiah had made all animals clean, why would they need to teach the difference between the clean and the unclean? Hmm. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. The Torah is made up of commandments, statutes, and judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes. So God says they'll keep my commandments, my statutes, my judgments. In all my appointed meetings, that's Leviticus chapter 23, that's Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, etc. The appointed times of the Lord that teach the first and second coming Messiah. And they shall hallow my Sabbaths. Does God think people will have forgotten about the Sabbath? Hmm. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23. I'm waiting for somebody to go. We just went there. But we did. But this explains why. Why are people from the nations grabbing hold of the seat, which represent God's commandments, statutes, and judgments in the last days? What did Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 say? What happens at the time of the end? Men shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Secular knowledge is true, but it's not just that. It's also Bible knowledge. We understand more of the prophecies today than we did a thousand years ago. Of course, I wasn't around that long ago. It's interesting that at the end of the millennial kingdom, there will be war. There will be war again. Great war. You know, yep. So it says that men will not learn war anymore. They'll be their, you know, sort of Plowshares, Plowshares, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Until we get to the end of the millennial kingdom, 
And according to the ancients, who taught men warfare in the first place but the fallen angels? So when Satan's released, first thing he does is teach people to make weapons and start killing each other. Oh, doesn't he love his people, Satan? Mm -mm. But the reason people have started coming back to the commandment statutes and judgments of God since around 1967 is we're looking at the scriptures going, but that's what the word of God said was going to happen. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. The scripture says, without holiness, no one will see God, right? In Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it tells us about the holy ones. Those who have an attitude, an attribute of holiness. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And the dragon, uh uh-oh, that's Satan. He's a bad guy. Was enraged with the woman, that's Israel. Went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. They believe in Yeshua. They have been saved by faith and they keep the commandments of God. Let's reinforce that with Revelation 14, verse 12, which specifically tells us we're talking about the Greek word hagios, translated in English here as saints. Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. It does not. Nor is there an or, right? Mm -hmm. To those who think that keeping the commandments of God is the opposite of faith in Messiah, the scripture doesn't teach that. It teaches that they go hand in hand. You cannot keep the commandments of God without faith. Book of Hebrews chapter 3 just reinforces that over and over. Let's go back to Zechariah. What do you know about a true prophet of God? What portion of their prophecies come to pass? All of it. it. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 18, right? If a prophet is a true prophet, all their prophecies come to pass. Zechariah chapter 14 is the tribulation period in the battle of Armageddon, all in one chapter. And we come to verse 16, and the tribulation period's over. Armageddon's done. And we're at the time described in Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 as the Acherit HaYamim, the end of days. Verse 16 of Zechariah 14 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone, what do you know about the word everyone? It's kind of broad, isn't it? Everyone who's left of all the nations, that word nations means non-Jewish nations, the Gentile nations, which came against Jerusalem, that is at the battle of Armageddon, shall go up from year to year, which means every year, to worship the king. Who's the king? Yeshua, Yeshua, our Messiah. That's Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 again. The nations are coming. The Lord of hosts. Yes, that's our Messiah, Yeshua. 
and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Yes, ma'am. When it says everyone who's left, meaning everyone who survived. What about the saints? Yes, they survived. You're talking about the rapture and resurrected saints, those who went in the rapture and came back with Messiah. We're going to be there helping to teach. Scripture says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, that we will be kings and priests. Kings rule and priests lead people to God, at least in biblical times. And to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Hmm. What gets taught at the Feast of Tabernacles every seven years? The Torah. Give me a verse or a chapter or a book. Deuteronomy. Other than the Bible. Yes, Deuteronomy. <laughs> Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, God told us that the commandments, statutes, and judgments were for everyone, not just Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 31. We'll start in verse 9. So Moses wrote this law, referring to the book of Deuteronomy. It contains all of God's commandments that apply to everybody. And delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, what's that word saying mean? What follows is a... Quote, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, which means it's one of the festivals of Leviticus 23, in the year of release, that's the seventh year, the Shemitah year of a seven-year cycle, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. I mean, the whole book of Deuteronomy. Gather the people together. Now let's see who. What does he mean by the people? Men and women and little ones. That's not midgets. That's talking about children. I don't think midgets is even allowed term anymore. Vertically challenged. I don't know. And the stranger, ding, 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 that's the non-Jew. The stranger who's within your gates. In Hebrew it's called the Ger HaShaar. Meaning the Gentile who's left paganism, doesn't want to worship the pagan gods anymore, wants to worship the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like Ruth in the book of Ruth. That they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. So which portion is the stranger supposed to obey? All of it. And they're supposed to obey it How? carefully and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess and how long will they live in the land when Messiah returns and regathers them back forever somebody give me another verse that says that the same commandments apply to the stranger as they do the native born can you say Numbers 15? I thought I heard that somewhere. 
Numbers chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you. Again, the Gershasha are. An ordinance for how long? Forever, throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. God doesn't care if you come from Jewish heritage or not. He cares whether you've been saved by faith or not. If you've been saved by faith, Ephesians 4.17 said, Quit walking like the pagans and walk in true righteousness and holiness. That word holiness comes from the same root as that hagios in Revelation 14.12. The saints who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Yeshua. Let's add to this Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah 66 teaches Messiah's return and the establishment of the eternal kingdom all the way up to and including the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah 66, we'll start in verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. So let me ask, just that part, how long will the new heavens and new earth remain? Forever and ever, without end. So that's all God's saying is this is forever. So shall your descendants and your name remain, which means Israel will continue and remain throughout eternity future. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So who is going to keep the Sabbath in the eternal kingdom? Everyone. That's right. All flesh. It says, And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who transgressed against me. Where are those? They're in the lake of fire. For their worm does not die. It doesn't mean worms as in earthworms. It means their essence does not die. And their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. I mean, there's not going to be a single person in the new heavens and new earth looking down at the lake of fire and saying, gee, I wish I could go vacation there. They're going to know better. Let's add to this Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon, which means it's going to come after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is an interesting book. It's the Megillah for one of the festivals. And the whole book is about Solomon's journey throughout his life trying to find what is the meaning of life. How many philosophy books have been written on what is the meaning of life? How many, how many psychiatrists have built huge yachts on people coming and saying, what is the meaning of life? It's right here. Verse 13, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. 
After telling us he tried women, wine, oing, song, anything and everything he could think of, wealth, power, nothing brought in the meaning of life. Here it is. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. That word matter there in Hebrew is devar. It means the whole word. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. He doesn't stop there, though. He tells us why. Says four, because God will bring every work into judgment. That word work is everything we have done into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So Psalms, the end of his life, is trying to tell his kids, don't make the same mistakes I made. Fear God and keep his commandments because judgment day is coming. And we all have to stand God's judgment. Which chapter of the Bible talks about if you want to be happy come judgment day, here's what you should do. One says if you want to be great in the kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Yep. But go to Psalm 119 verse 1. Psalm 119, the whole focus of it is you're going to be judged one day. And how are you going to be judged? What standard will Messiah use as the measuring rod? Yep, Psalm 119, verse 1. The first word says blessed, but that's wrong. Just cross it out. It's happy. The first eight verses all start with the letter Aleph. Blessed starts with a bait. A happy in Hebrew is Ashrei. So it's happy are the undefiled in the way. The word undefiled is a Hebrew word tamim. It means without spot or blemish. Who walk in the law of the Lord. So come judgment day. You want to hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not, gee, I'm sorry I asked so much of you that you just couldn't do it. Mm. So if all of God's word is trying to point us to the fact that he wants us to be obedient, Follow his commandments, statutes, and judgments. Not to earn salvation, for that's not possible. Salvation is by faith, by faith alone. But how does God determine whether your faith is real or not? He looks at your actions. Were you obedient or were you not? Where does it tell us that? Well. A whole bunch of places. Yeah, a whole bunch of places. So we'll put a little... Thumbtack in that one and come back to it. Go to Daniel chapter 7. If God wants us to keep his commandments, and the scriptures say, surely the Lord our God does nothing without he first reveals it through his servants, the prophets, is there a prophecy that someone will try and keep us from keeping God's commandments? Does somebody want us to break them? The answer to that is yes. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is an interesting chapter. 
verses 8 and 10 through that section, 8 to 10, talk about the rapture and the resurrection and the judgment for believers. Verses 12 to 14 talk about the second coming for the battle of Armageddon. And then in verses 23 and following, which is where we're going to go, chapter 7, verse 23, it talks about the time of the end. In verse 23 it says, Thus he said, the fourth beast, the first beast was Babylon, the second was Medo-Persia, the third is Greece, and the fourth is Rome. So the fourth beast is Rome. Shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, that is the fourth Gentile world power that just ruled over everything, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. Meaning Rome didn't get conquered, it just fell apart. And yet continues in the Roman Catholic Church. Verse 24 brings us to the time of the end, the time of the Messianic kingdom, and the tribulation period precedes it. When it says the ten horns, that's the ten horns of the beast, are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, from Rome. We call it the revived Roman Empire. And another shall rise after them. That another we call the Antichrist, the false messiah, or the beast of Revelation 13, depending upon your preferred term. I like to throw out all three, otherwise I get emails from people saying, you didn't use my term. Okay. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So militarily he throws three kings over office, out of office, and takes their countries. And the other seven give their their loyalty willingly. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. We're going to look at 2 Thessalonians 2 in a minute. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High. What do we know about the saints in Revelation 14 verse 12? They keep the commandments of God in the faith of Yeshua. And shall intend to, which means try to, change times. The times are the Leviticus 23 appointed times. Passover, unleavened bread, etc., that teach Messiah's first and second coming, and the law, which refers to the Torah. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half a time. So at three and a half years into the tribulation period, Satan's kicked out of heaven and dwells the false Messiah, and the saints then, he's going to kill everyone and get his hands on. But this hasn't happened yet. This is still future. And yet Satan has been trying to change God's appointed times and his commandments since the Garden of Eden. That's why we need to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He even got the Orthodox to change one of them to spite the uh, prophecy. Yeah. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 3. Oops, I got a question out there from Go to Meeting Land. Let's see. Jeremiah 12, 17 fits perfectly with Psalm 129, verse 1. Psalm 119, verse 126. It absolutely does. 
So we'll get back to that one in a minute. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, says, Let no one deceive you. Why does Paul ever say, let no one deceive you? Because there's people out there trying to deceive us. For that day, what day? The Lord will not come unless, meaning until the falling away or snatching away comes first. That's the rapture. And the man of sin is revealed. That's the false Messiah, the son of perdition. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. When does he do that? At the middle of the tribulation period. The very time that Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 referred to. Do not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 2,000 years ago, the mystery of lawlessness was already at work. How long has the mystery of lawlessness been? That is from the Garden of Eden. When Satan said, did God really say? You know what? Yeah, God really said. But it says, only he who now, or it, who now restrains will do so until he or it is taken out of the way. I think it's better it than he. So why would they confuse the Hebrew word he for the Hebrew word it? Because it's the same word. Same word. And then the lawless one, that's the one described by Daniel chapter 7 verse 25, will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's Revelation 19. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. Why does Satan want people to break God's commandments? Because he, he wants God to suffer at the loss of his creation. He wants God to suffer at the loss of his creation, right? But what does he know happens to the people who decide, I'm going to walk in lawlessness? They'll be damned. Yep, yep, they will be headed to the lake of fire, and Satan will chuckle. Verse 10, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. What did they not receive? The love of the truth. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That tells you why. They didn't develop a love for the truth. They enjoyed their sin too much. They enjoy the unrighteousness. Let's add to that Matthew chapter 7 and then we'll go to the Psalm 119 passage. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Yep, you knew it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We have to get down to verse 23 to understand that statement. 
Verse 22 says, Many will say to me in that day, what day? A Lord, judgment day. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Anomia. Those who live a life contrary to God's commandments. What color are these words? They're red. Keep a finger here in Matthew. And let's go to Psalm 119 now. Verse 142. No, 126. Psalm 119, verse 126. Psalm 119, verse 126 says, It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Who taught people that the law is void? It comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. It comes from the evil one. And Satan's behind him. But in Matthew chapter 7, Messiah explains it's the false teachers that are teaching people to break God's commandments. While we're in Psalm 119, let's do look at verse 142. And then you'll find out why I had to keep a finger in Matthew. Psalm 119 verse 142 says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, which means God's righteousness does not change. What he requires of man does not change. It says, and your law, your Torah, your commandments, statutes, and judgments is truth. So in 2 Thessalonians 2, they didn't develop a love for the truth because they wanted to live in unrighteousness. They wanted to live in sin. You see where that comes from. And let's add to it before we leave Psalm, verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. It says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Does that mean the word of the Lord is going to change from generation to generation, from time period to time period? No, no. Nope, it does not. Okay, go back to Matthew. Or I get preachy. Go ahead. Yes, back in Matthew chapter 7. Back to verse 13. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. And verse 14 says, Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Verses 13 and 14 are part of the same Sermon on the Mount. 
as verses 21 to 23. So everyone in verses 13 and 14 are trying to find their way to heaven. And yet most find the way to what? To destruction, to the lake of fire. Why do all those people, all trying to find the way to eternal life, why do most of them fall short? It's verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. If they're teaching you that God's commandments don't apply anymore, which road are they leading you down? To destruction. But what in Matthew should immediately let us know that God's commandments are for all people? That's Matthew 28. Yes, Melanie. You heard a guy. Stand up. He was led to the Lord. He got saved. He thinks the rest of the Old Testament. You don't have to do it. It's irrelevant. It's gone. I would take issue with your statements that he got led to the Lord and got saved. He met some false prophets. Yep. He was on the broad road. Keep a finger here in Matthew. And let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. He's one of those who will say, Lord, Lord. In John 17, 3, it says, If you know the Lord, you have eternal life, right? That's what it says. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 are the test of, Do you know the Lord or not? You could have phrased it the same way, Do you have eternal life or not? Verse 3 says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So the gentleman you're talking about says, I came to the Lord and I got saved. But what does the Lord say? What does the scripture say that you did not? So he's one, if he doesn't get saved before he dies, will stand before the Lord and say, but Lord, Lord. He told me I was saved. I did everything my church told me. I had an emotional experience. But who judges us come judgment day? <laughs> our pastor, our denomination? No, the Lord does. But go to Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. I know I get those kind of emails all the time. I know this woman... Um, she, she got hit by a car. She's in the hospital. She's about to die. But thank God she's a Christian. She puts up the most beautiful Christmas trees and paints the most beautiful Easter eggs. And I go, and what makes you think she's saved? Well, she walked down an aisle and got dunked. But let's look at Matthew 28. I don't want to mock anybody. That's not my point. My point is, you hear lots of things. And Messiah used to say what? You've heard it said, but I tell you it's written. We hear lots of things, but what does the word of God say? Mm 
Matthew 28:18, and Yeshua came and spoke to them, saying, What does that word saying mean? You know it. What follows is a quote. It came out of the lips of Messiah. The same one who in Matthew 24, 35 said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. It says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make converts. Nope. No. No, it says make disciples. The word disciple means student. Mm -hmm. What's a student? One who studies, who learns. Of all the nations, the word nations means Gentiles. So what are the apostles supposed to teach the Gentiles? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, that's where they become converts. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we know from Matthew that the apostles were commanded to teach all of God's commandments, statutes, and judgments to the nations. Yes. So how do you talk to somebody that thinks they're saved and you have go up and say, hey, you're not saved? I would go up and say, you tell me you're saved, that's wonderful, but let's look and see what the Bible says. Come judgment day, who's going to judge you? Let's see the standard the scripture says will be used. And then you decide. And the popular argument now is, oh, but Jesus said that back in Matthew, the fourth crucifixion. And over in Hebrews, it says all that was annulled. Now yep. we've got a better law and a better testament and a better this and better. We don't have to do all that. Anymore. And First John chapter 2 comes after Hebrews. Yeah, comes later. It's, it's one of the last books written. The other apostles have been dead for 30 years. And what does John say? You've gotten off the rails. Check your records. Yep. Go to Revelation 2 and 3. The very last book ever written in the scripture. And it's John's motivation for writing his gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. Because after the apostles have died, the others, the church is getting off the rails. And John wants us to go back on the rails. Yeah. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, you see that word Nicolaitans. Their doctrine was antinomianism. They were already teaching by the end of the first century that when Messiah died, the law was done away with. That's the doctrine, the Nicolaitans. What does the Lord say about it? But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, comma, which I also hate. And in the same chapter, verse 15, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or what? Repent, or I'll give you bigger rewards. It says repent, or else. What color are those words? That's out of the Lord's own lips. Repent or else. Okay. Um, believe it or not, this was all because of what it was written in Jeremiah. So let's go back to Jeremiah. We got through three whole verses so far. 
Verses 15 to 17 says, Then it shall be after I pluck them out that I return and have compassion on them and bring them back, everyone to his heritage, everyone to his land. And it shall be, what's that next word, that little word? If. If they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey. So we add an if they do, blessing. If they don't, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. What of what we've read today would make you say, gee, I can go eat a pig. I can go break Shabbat. I can go paint Easter eggs. Answer, of course, is not a thing. So let's go on to Jeremiah chapter 13. I better look at the clock. Do we have time left? Okay, a little. Verse 13. Thus the Lord said to me, me being Jeremiah, Go and get yourself a linen sash. Well, not really a linen sash. It's a loincloth. What color is linen? White. Pretty white and clean. Go and get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. It means wear this loincloth day after day after day without taking it off or washing it. How many of you out there are going, ooh, yuck? <laughs> you all are, right? Be honest. Ooh, yuck. But the linen sash is a picture of Israel. They started out in faith, washed clean, and turned away from God one after the other to follow after the sins of the world and the idols of the nations. So in God's eyes, they get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. God bless you. And it says, and do not wash it. You've heard the origin of the black belt, right? In karate and judo, yeah. etc. It started out as a white belt but it never gets washed. And the more experience you get, the longer you've been at it, the darker the belt gets. And that's how it became. The black belt are those that have so much experience. And that's kind of what we're looking at here. Verse 2. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. He puts on the loincloth. Verse 3, and the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, which means time has passed. Here we go, do, 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 do. He's still wearing that dirty, stinky loincloth. Verse 4 says, take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist. And you just know Jeremiah's saying, and thank goodness I get to take this stinky thing off. And arise, go to the Euphrates. Where's the Euphrates? Euphrates is in Babylon. Where did God send the children of Israel into captivity? The children of Judah? Into Babylon. So again, it pictures the children of Israel. They got dirtier and dirtier and dirtier until God sent them into Babylon. But the Euphrates is a river. So is he going to get to wash this loincloth finally in the Euphrates? The answer is no. He took it into Babylon, he took it to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. Not wash it clean. When God put Judah into Babylon, 
did they all get washed clean? Or did they just enjoy the idolatry in Babylon? So nothing is cleansing them because they're not repenting. Verse 5 says, So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And believe it or not, just being near the water did nothing to cleanse it. Verse 6, now it came to pass after many days, that stinky, dirty loincloth has been in a hole in the rock a long time. Didn't get any cleaner, did it? Just dirtier and stinkier. That the Lord said to me, arise, go to the Euphrates and take from there the sash which I commanded you to hide there. Hmm. Just want you to think for a minute. Never having been laundered, what do you think is the state of that linen cloth? What do you think it's worth? Nothing. The children of Israel that were put into the Babylonian captivity, and it did not bring them to repentance. Rather, they just enjoyed idolatry in another country. Did they get any better? Nope, they're still just as stinky and worthless in the eyes of God. And that's verse 7. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it, and there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. Why did God put the children of Israel into the Babylonian captivity? So they would learn to repent, right? So they would see that without God's blessing, those idols did nothing for them. And they would come to understand that the pagan idols are nothing. They're not to be worshipped. They're not to be served. They do nothing for the people that worship them. Oh, boy. And when the children of Israel didn't learn that lesson, what value are they? None. Why did God call Abraham to come across into the new promised land in the first place? To begin a people to worship him and him alone. To be a teaching to the nations. That when you worship God and you serve him with your whole heart, he will bless you beyond measure. So the other nations will want to worship God too. When the children of Israel turned to pagan idolatry and sexual immorality and bloodshed, etc., what does that teach the other nations? Nothing. So he's saying, I put them into captivity here. I hope they would learn, they would repent, they would come back to me and again be a light unto the nations. But they didn't. And they're now ruined, profitable for nothing. Just as dirty as they were before. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying. I know I keep saying it. What's that word saying mean? What follows is a quote. Thus says the Lord. In this manner. I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. 
At this point, there have been two waves of the Babylonian captivity. First went Daniel. The next wave went Ezekiel. Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem with the remnant who haven't learned anything from the first two waves of captivity. They're sitting in Jerusalem listening to false prophets say God will never allow his temple to be destroyed. God will never allow the city of Jerusalem to be destroyed because he just loves us too much. And God says, I'm going to ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. What does that mean? It means the temple and the city of Jerusalem are going to be destroyed and every man, woman, and child is going to die. Because they didn't learn the lesson of repentance. What the false prophets taught was that you can sin all you want to and God will still bless you anyway. Good thing nobody teaches that today. Verse 10 says, this evil people. Why would he call them evil? Because of the next clause. Who refuse to hear my words. I don't know why the translators of the Bible call the Ten Commandments the Ten Commandments. That's not what God calls them. He calls them the Ten Words. The word is Devarim, the Ten Words. So when he says, who refuse to hear my words, he means they will not listen to my commandments. They won't follow my statutes or my judgments. Why? It says, who follow the dictates of their hearts, meaning what? They say, I'll do what I want to do, and God can just bless me anyway. That's what we hear from pulpits all over the world today, is you can sin all you want to, and if you made a profession of faith and got dunked in a bathtub once upon a time, God doesn't care anymore. It's already forgiven. Yeah, that's the same thing the false prophets were teaching back then. Like an indulgence. Yeah. Who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. So God calls them evil. Why? Because they refuse to hear his words. Why? Because they don't want to. Does that sound like Second Thessalonians chapter 2? They prefer to walk in sin and unrighteousness. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 10. Somebody will say, yeah, we studied that just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but I forgot already. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 10. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. So even after Josiah restored the worship of the true and living God and tore down all the high places and destroyed all the images, as soon as he was gone, the people went right back and put up the altars and the idols. And they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. That sounds like Jeremiah 31, 32, doesn't it? 
Yeah, you're going to hear those words again. God didn't break the covenant. The people broke the covenant. Go to Zechariah chapter 7 verse 11. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 11. Yep, just like 711, the stores we used to have out in Colorado. Zechariah 711. But, it's actually and, it's not but. And they refuse to heed. Shrug their shoulders. What's it mean to shrug their shoulders? Any of you have kids, so you tell them to do something, they shrug their shoulders? What does that say to you? Maybe, maybe not. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care that you told me to do it. Yeah. And stop their ears so that they could not hear. It's not that they didn't have an opportunity. They chose not to hear. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Meaning what? You don't get to do what you want to do if it's contrary to the word of God. But I don't want to keep God's commandments. Well, get ready for the smoking section then. I like the phrase, I'm a good person. So whatever I do is okay. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Proverbs chapter 12. Wonder how many of them have heard Messiah say, ain't no one good. Oh Proverbs 12. Yeah, I just didn't finish the quote. Proverbs 12. Verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Is wise. Where in the book of Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 do you find that word? <laughs> Let's go look at Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. Hmm. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Wise. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, meaning the stars in the heavens. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. lawlessness. So those who turn many away from lawlessness to righteousness shall shine like the stars for how long? <coughs> Forever and ever. Isn't that contrary to the New Testament? Nope. No. Go to Matthew chapter 5 verse 19.
It never ceases to amaze me how often I forget that so many people think that the New Testament and Old Testament means New Covenant and Old Covenant. And it doesn't. But people think it does. Give me any verse in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that uses the phrase the Old Covenant. Nowhere. There isn't one. That's right. Mm -mm. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments. These refers back to the law in verse 18. And teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's the same as Daniel 12.3. Would you like to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Then keep God's commandments and teach others to do so. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. What's that mean, the Lord weighs the hearts? He's going to cut our chest open and pull our heart out and put it on a scale and see whose heart's biggest? No. The reference to the heart is the reference to love. John 14, 15, the Lord said, If you love me, comma, keep my commandments. Hmm. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 says, What is the love of God? That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, How can you tell a child of God from a child of the devil? No. Let's go turn. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, in case you've forgotten. First John chapter three verse ten. First John chapter three verse ten. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Means here, here is how you can tell one from the other. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Another way to say that is whoever practices lawlessness is not of God. How can you read something like that and say, God doesn't want us to keep his commandments? It means you're misreading something that Paul wrote. And look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Yes, sir. Would it be correct to, when we read, you know, in this instance where love and your brother and your neighbor it's not that emotional fuzzy right. warm feeling right. of infatuation right but it's the the will overcoming the heart to do good to another person yeah in spite of whatever things negative things may have happened or may 
might happen. Right. You're right. Love in English is an emotion. Love in Hebrew is an action verb. It's how do you treat people? How do you treat people? Second Peter chapter 3 comes right before 1 John chapter 1. How about that? Verse 14, therefore, therefore it means because judgment day is coming. Beloved, so he's talking to believers, looking forward to these things, that is to judgment day in the eternal kingdom. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. That's that same Tamim from Psalm 119 verse 1. Happy is the one who is without spot and blameless in the eyes of God and walking in the law. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Peter says you have to have a strong background and understanding of the culture and the language, etc., or you can misread Paul straight to the lake of fire. What's that? 1 Peter 3 and 4. 2 Peter chapter 3, that was verses 14 through 16. <laughs> and you know what the word therefore means, right? In verse 17 it says, you therefore, because Paul can lead you astray if you're not well grounded, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. I Meaning if you think Paul is telling you it's okay to walk in sin, you didn't read Paul correctly. I'd have to agree with that. Let's go back to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28. Verse 9. I have to keep coming back to this verse because it just jumps off the page and smacks me in the face every time I read it. It says, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. God says, if you will not hear me, I will not hear you. Hmm. John chapter 9, verse 31 is the New Testament equivalent. John chapter 9, verse 31. You guys all know 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says sin is lawlessness. That's why sin is defined in the Bible. John chapter 9, verse 31 says, We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, which means and keeps his commandments, he hears him. So it's not just in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament too. Let's look at two verses in the book of Jeremiah chapter 7. 
chapter 6 and verse 9. Let's just, given the time, I'm down to under five minutes. Just make a note of Jeremiah 7, 6, and 7, 9, which are to the essence of repent. Let's go to Jeremiah 16, because it's going to make the point even better. Jeremiah 16, verse 11. We'll start in verse 10 to see the question that gets answered. When Jeremiah 16 is written, the southern kingdom of Judah has gone into the temple of God, cut creches in the wall, and put up pagan idols, and are bowing to the rising sun to worship Tammuz and weeping for Tammuz in the courtyard of God's house. Verse 10 says, Then it shall be when you show this people all these words, that is, that judgment is coming. And they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what's our iniquity? Or what's our sin that we've committed against the Lord our God? They're not following a commandment of God. They're murdering children in the street. They're worshiping idols. They're, they're bowing with their behinds to God so they can worship the rising sun. They say, What did we do wrong? You shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord. They have walked after other gods and served them and worshipped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. How does God define you forsaken me? You have not kept my law. It's Luke chapter 6, verse 46, right, that says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? It's never changed. Go to Deuteronomy 28, verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 20. Deuteronomy 28. The curses that God send for those who turn away from them. Verse 20. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. Forsaken me. Go to Judges chapter 10. How did the people treat God? Judges chapter 10. Verse 13. It brings a tear to my eye. It says, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. God takes his hand of protection away from Israel. Why? Because you have forsaken me and served other gods. Go to 1 Kings chapter 11. 
First Kings chapter 11. God bless you. Verses 30 to 33. Again, First Kings chapter 11, verses 30 to 33. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. He said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because, here's why, ten of the twelve tribes get torn away from Israel to form the northern kingdom. Because they have forsaken me. Worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon. In other words, any god will do so long as it's not the Lord. I have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes, and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. Second Chronicles chapter 12. 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Verse 5. Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 5. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. So why does Israel get conquered over and over again? It's when they turn their backs on God and he removes his hand of protection. Then they get invaded. Well, my time's up, so just put these three other references in your Bibles. 2 Chronicles 24, verse 24. 2 Chronicles 28, verse 6. In 2 Chronicles 34, 25, they're all going to say the same thing. Israel turns their back on God, and God says, well, when the enemy comes, I'm not going to deliver you. Yes, of course. The last three that you're just going to put in your notes is 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 24. 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 6. And 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 25. You're welcome. So when we come back next week, Lord willing, we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 11.